This is Dr. Hilary McClafferty. Welcome to Physician Thriving, a podcast exploring the modern physician experience with a focus on resilience and the skills needed to thrive in medicine. It is my pleasure this morning to welcome Dr. Melanie Brown. Welcome, Melanie. How are you this morning? Hi, I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about your training and background and um, what your current work is right now? Yeah, yeah, happy to. So I'm a pediatrician and I specialize in pediatric integrative medicine. So I'm currently the program director of integrative medicine at Children's Hospitals and Clinics of Minnesota. I've been there for just about three years. Prior to that, I was a pediatric intensive care doctor. So I worked in the ICU at the University of Chicago um, which is a level one trauma center on the south side of Chicago. And how did you come to uh, follow the medical path? Like what was your initial inkling that you were going to become a physician? You know, it's, it's a, that's a really interesting question. I know so many people who say that, you know, from the time they were a young child or kindergarten, they always knew that they wanted to be a doctor. Um, For me, it's a little bit different. The first thing that I ever wanted to do was actually to be an engineer. And so I told (laughs) my mom when I was about five years old that I was going to be an engineer. And of course, she thought I meant like a train conductor because um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the likely um, exposure at that age. I probably had read a a train book, but no, I, I wanted to be an engineer and I wanted to be able to fix things and to see how things work. And so I initially uh, chose a path of engineering and I went to school for engineering. And um, but I think I always had an interest in medicine and the human body and really making that human connection as well as how things work. So even as an undergraduate, when I was doing my engineering studies, I followed a wonderful physician um, in uh, a wonderful surgeon. And I, he sort of said to me, if you're willing to wake up at 5 a.m., then uh, you're welcome to come with me into the OR. And oh, that was wow. a really fantastic experience. Um, the thing that struck me most about him, though, was not just his technical skills and sort of the fun of doing the hands-on work in the OR, but he really had a real human connection with all of his patients. And um, as he was doing his work in the operating room, a lot of the conversation he had with me was about how this would affect them and improve their quality of life. And I think it was that experience that really stuck with me. Even throughout my time as an engineer, I did work as an engineer in the aerospace industry for a few years before deciding to go to medical school. And I loved it. And I loved that job. I loved the hands-on aspect of the work. But for me, there was something that was missing. And that is something that I found when I did decide to pursue medicine. That is incredible. What did your family think when you, what did they say when you said, you know, I'm, I'm going to be shifting from my engineering profession into medicine? How did they react? You know, it's very funny. They were very (laughs) surprised. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I think they were very surprised because from their standpoint, they hadn't really had an inkling. And my mom sort of said, you know, but I've never seen you around sick people. And and I think that my whole um, 
philosophy that I had then and that I had now, you know, it's not being around sick people. We're not sick. We're human beings having this experience, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. every piece of our experience uh, brings us to who we are. And so the ability to really impact and influence and to work with someone to improve their quality of life, to me, is an absolute honor. So they were very surprised initially. (laughs) (laughs) But I think now that they see, you know, how happy I am doing this work and the impact that it has, of course, they're absolutely supportive. That's fantastic. And how did you decide to focus in on pediatrics? Well, you know, it wasn't an easy decision for me. I know uh, for a lot of people, I hear stories of people who go into pediatrics and they think, you know, I've always loved children and I just, um, I can't imagine doing anything else. Uh, I love everything. (laughs) So I love taking care of children, but I also really enjoy the um, taking care of adults, which I've had a, a great opportunity to also do throughout my career. I think for me, the thing about pediatrics that really strikes home is that um, when I look at a child, I see the whole future of our world, of our society, of us, of our humanity. And to think that I could even have a little piece of being a part of their growth and development meant knowing that any child I take care of, they could go on to do anything. Um, They could go on to be the next president. They, They could really um, their possibilities of their life are limitless. And to think that even though I may not be remembered by them, that I have been able to have just a little piece on their journey is very exciting to me. The other thing is when I think about integrative medicine and the work that I do there, you know, a lot of it is about focusing on your inner strengths and really focusing not on sickness and disease, but focusing on this innate healing capacity that we all have. And the idea that we can work with children at a very young age so that they can be on a path to have a healthier life overall throughout their lifespan, I think there just isn't a job that can beat that. that maybe it's more it, of a calling, right? Maybe we talk about maybe jobs so. when we talk about calling. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe so. Now, tell me how you got interested in integrative medicine. Going, you know, coming from that, all that high acuity work you were doing in the PICU. Yeah. You know, when I went to medical school initially, uh, so in engineering, I worked, um, my master's degree is in systems engineering from the University of Pennsylvania. And so I've always really uh, enjoyed working with systems. And so when I moved into medicine and into ICU, I would say that the human body is a system um, as well. And, uh, and so I really enjoyed my time in the ICU. One of the things that I enjoy about integrative medicine, and one of the things I think that really helped me make that complete shift, you know, for a long time, I did both ICU and integrative medicine, is the idea of being able to always have a way that you can partner with and help a family, mm-hmm. you know, wherever they are in their um lifespan, in their illness, in their disease progression, knowing that there's always something that you can do, Um, being able to really focus on the strengths that they have as opposed to the illness and the disease, I think is another one of the things that really drew me to integrative medicine. So Mm -hmm. focusing on how can we really help and foster 
someone's own innate, own innate healing abilities. But then also, how do you give children and how do you give families the tools that they may need in order to um, promote and focus on their own health and wellness? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the questions um, that I'm focusing on in this podcast series is as we're looking at the the amazing physicians that are, you know, that we're speaking with, that I'm speaking with that all over the country, yourself included, how do you tap into your strengths to help yourself get through challenging circumstances? You know, how do you maintain your own well-being? I think one of the things that we are very fortunate to have as physicians is the ability to always feel that you're making a difference. And being able to focus on the meaning of the work is one of the things that really helps get me through some of the more difficult and challenging times. Um, there are, are often times when there are situations, there are um, times in the world, uh, right now is one, <laughs> for example. But right, there during are, the pandemic that we're yeah, experiencing. Yeah, during the pandemic that we're experiencing yeah. now. You know, there, there are a lot of times, I think, when it is easy to um, be stressed with a lot of the things that are coming at you. But, you know, there are a few things that I, that I do think about stress and when I think about my own approach. Um, to stress and how I maintain my, you know, uh, positive outlook and my wellness. So one, one of it, one of them is really just having a positive outlook and how are you sort of framing up um, in your mind? What story are you telling yourself about the situation that is at hand? So that's one of the strategies that I use for my own wellness, but also being able to look outside of myself and, um, and really recognize what an honor it is to be able to, and I know I've said this before, but take care of and partner with people um, when they're, you know, sometimes at very, very, very difficult uh, times in their lives. So being able to, I think, look outside of myself and see my um, place or the part that I'm able to play and sort of, you know, the greater improvement um, mm. of the world, the greater good, really just having some meaning to the work it is that I'm doing is one of the big factors for me. Uh, that's so, that's so helpful. And, you know, are there, are there things that you use um, right in the moment? Let's say something, you know, very difficult is going on and you're, you're in that moment um, at the bedside with the family. How do you do that? Well, you know, uh, part of it, I think, is, recognizing that at times emotions and the, the things that we feel are um, in some ways a biochemical reaction, Yeah, I guess I'll say it. And so thinking about the physiology of what's going on um, and recognizing that there are things that I practice so that when I'm in the moment, I'm able to access them more easily. So when I talk about that, I, I, what I mean is things like having a mindfulness practice. So I have a very significant mindfulness practice. It's not um, always something completely formal. You know, as I go throughout the day, I try to find times and moments of peace 
times to practice mindfulness so that when I am faced with that sort of a situation, I can go back into some of those strategies that I've practiced and I've learned before. So whether it's when I am about to, uh, you know, go in to talk to a patient family with um, some difficult or challenging news. So, you know, whether it's as I um, sanitize my hands before I walk into the room, I take that time to what, where I'm doing, a, you know, a hand massage and really sort of like centering myself before walking in so that mm -hmm. I can be fully present in that present moment. You know, those are the things that I practice and I do every single day. I will say that, you know, it was told to me before people would say, you know, well, working in the ICU, that's so stressful. You know, when you're in, say, for example, a code situation and you're really working with a team to do the best that you can for the person who is there. And I will say that, you know, it's not that it's not stressful, but if you want to think about meditation being a time of focused attention, that is a time where every single other thing in the world just falls away and you are there in that moment and you're fully focused on that individual who's in front of you. And there is something that's calming and peaceful about being in that space. Absolutely. That, that is, that is so powerful, Melanie. Thank you for sharing that. I do have a question. When you started to learn about mindfulness, um, was that easy for you? Did that just come really naturally to you? I wouldn't say that it was easy, but I would say that I think part of my journey was very helped by the fact that in college and through other times of my life, I uh, have, I was always a fan of the self-help books and people would always sort of laugh at me as I, as I read all of these things. But I really think as we sort of go through this experience that um, is our life, um, you know, whether we are humans living a spiritual experience or spiritual beings living a human experience, you know, whenever we go through this, there are pieces that we learned. And one of the things that I learned um, pretty early on was to be non-judgmental. Mm -hmm. um, and often we work very hard in being non-judgmental for others, but we have more difficulty doing it for ourselves. So in my effort and trying really hard to be non-judgmental, for myself, I would say in that way, it was easy because even though I didn't always do it, if someone wants to say right, I would tell myself there's no right or wrong. The fact that you tried it and did it means that you were successful. Um, I was never one who could just sort of sit and empty out my mind. And so I would say, um, you know, when there was a time when I would try to do that, it was easy to feel like I wasn't doing it right or I wasn't being successful. And so I worked very hard to just sort of like let go of that judgment. And mindfulness for me, being able to really focus on that moment, it gives me something to think about and something to focus on. And it's a way for me to sort of like calm that active mind that mm -hmm. I often have going. So it's hard to say if it was easy or if it was hard, but I, what I would say is just, it, it was. <laughs> right. And, and it sounds like yeah. it was, uh, you know, you found the way that worked well for you. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. And I think it's going to be different for everyone. I mean, mm -hmm. I was never someone who could shut my mind off. And I think that, um, I don't know, you know, if, uh, that, if that's ever a part of who I am. 
but certainly I've been able to find a way to really focus on that present moment. Beautiful. And it, at work, do you uh, have colleagues that are aware of your mindfulness um, practice or uh, share in that? Or is that something that's relatively, um, you know, sort of not obvious to others who work with you? I think that is an interesting question. So I would say that currently it's likely not super obvious to others who work with me. When I was in a uh, more of a, a more significant teaching position with learners, mm-hmm. I always tried very deliberately to have the team take a moment or to describe how when going into a difficult situation, I might approach it in order to be fully present at that time. I will say that it has been commented to me um, how fully present I am with the patients. And I don't know if people make that connection that it is because of the mindfulness practice that I have or not. You know, mindfulness is one of those things where we often may think of you know, someone in a robe who's sitting somewhere looking very peaceful. (laughs) (laughs) But it doesn't have to be that. It's sort of one of those things that you can do on your own and no one around you necessarily knows what you're doing unless you call attention to it. So it's kind of an interesting question that you asked, but I I don't think that people probably recognize it or, or know, would know because it's more internal. It's something that I'm doing. I'm sanitizing my hands. They just see me standing time with sanitizing my hands, you know, right. Taking the full 20 seconds. So (laughs) (laughs) exactly. I love that point that, you know, you, you literally carry that through your day, you know, you're in a way you're practicing mindfulness every day, all day. Yeah. 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 That's exactly right. It's yeah. exactly right. It's trying to, um, you know, living a more connected experience. Mm-hmm. So. If you were, um, if you were to, you know, sort of let's consider our colleagues around the country and, you know, a lot of people view, st- still view the mindfulness and other mind body, um, connections, you know, the science, um, Notwithstanding, with some skepticism, you know what what uh, would you say to them? Like, how how would you approach a skeptical colleague if someone was sort of looking at mindfulness and thinking, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of people. There are a lot of people who may not have an openness. Um, But if you think of it from a physiologic standpoint, uh, it is true that when you take a deep breath with your diaphragm and you hold it, you are going to have a change in some of your physiologic parameters. And for people who um, really haven't had an experience of doing that sort of a thing before so that they don't know the impact of it, what I would say is, you know, try to suspend disbelief and just try it. Some people don't like the word try. They say there's no try, just do. So, you know, whatever word (laughs) you want to use, it's, uh, it's really just, you know, it's, it, it's non-painful. It's not expensive. There's certainly no harm. 
So I would encourage them to just, you know, do it, do it for a day, see what happens. It is true that if you do certain things, you have these changes in physiologic parameters. It is also true that when people have, you know, panic attacks or other things, that they have other changes in their physiologic parameters. So knowing that all of that is true, then why wouldn't it make perfect sense that as you focus on the breath and you do some of these changes, that you're going to have a change in your physiology. The change in your physiology is going to change your neurotransmitters. The change in your neurotransmitters is going to change like your stress level and how you feel. Oh, absolutely. I, you've just completely convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I wanted I to... <laughs> require, but thank you for that. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's, that was fantastic. And, you know, I wanted to um, ask you, can you tell us a little bit more about your national work in physician well-being? You know, what are the initiatives that you're involved in right now? Oh, so I uh, am very fortunate. So I think I talked a little bit about some of the teaching that I did and then more on a local level, I was, uh, you know, very involved with wellness for trainees, which much like pediatricians for me, or like uh, taking care of children, it's really exciting to think that you can reach people at the beginning of their careers. So nationally, I am a part of the um, wellness advisory group for the American Academy of Pediatrics. And um, we really have a mission of um, seeing um, pediatricians as leaders and as role models and really thinking about how can we as pediatricians work to improve our own wellness and the wellness of our colleagues so that we have an understanding and a practice, we have tools that we can use, but also that we can then pass on to the children and to the families that we care for. So I would say that's sort of the bottom line of that work with the Wellness Advisory Group with the American Academy of Pediatrics. That makes a lot of sense. So you cultivate the skill and then turn and become teachers to the families and children. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So in providing um, resources and education and, you know, webinars and opportunities for interaction uh, with pediatricians amongst each other on these topics of, you know, of wellness and health um, and wellness, of course, we we use that word, but it's really broad. So it's not just about um, having a mindfulness practice, though that may be a part of it. So it is about stress management, but it's also about, you know, being physically healthy and physically well as much as you can. It's about eating right. It's about things like sleep, but then it's also about, you know, advocacy. And as, um, physicians, a lot of what we want to do is we really want to fight for people who maybe can't fight for themselves. And so part of the wellness work is figuring out, you know, how do you become the best advocate that you can? And, uh, you know, uh, other things that add to stress, like financial fitness. So, you know, how do you have a practice that's financially fit and able to provide the services that you want to provide to like a broad group of people? So it's really a really large topic. And um, when you think about it, but it's all about improving quality of life. That's so good. That is so such important work. And, um, you know, just one last question, just as as you're, you sort of take a second to reflect, you know, if you 
uh, wanted to leave a few last words for colleagues who might be listening. Um, anything that you think it would be important to convey or for them to know about the, the topic or um, thriving in medicine? I think the most important thing, or at least the most important thing for me, was um, the idea of kindness and this spirit of openness. So it's you know, being kind to yourself, but also being very open. When we talk about being a skeptic, I always say that I'm the biggest skeptic because while I never believe that um, anything fully works without the data, I also never believe that anything doesn't work without the data. So I would say um, being kind to yourself, but really keeping an open mind and continuing to grow and to develop and explore throughout your entire career, but also your entire life. So being open to new paradigms and really being open to seeking out new ways to improve your health, to improve your wellness, to expand your thoughts, and to improve your quality of life. That That is uh, so, so insightful. And thank you, Dr. Melanie Brown, so much for your time today on the podcast. It has been a great pleasure. Thank you, Hillary. Thank you for having me, Dr. McClafferty. It's been wonderful being here.